Hello, everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Fates Divide, the second book in the Carve the Mark duology by Veronica Roth. So let's divide the magic of books. Now, I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was just as good, if not better, than the first book. And there are a couple reasons why, yes, these books are still YA, and they're definitely YA, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's what she's writing, and I think she wrote it very well. It tells a great story, and I am really happy that she decided to keep it at two books in a duology. She leaves a bunch of questions unanswered near the end, but she leaves a lot of questions answered that we get that we want to know about, and I feel like it really struck that nice balance, and it really prevents us from having like middle book syndrome, where there's book one and book two, and no third book where the second book gets lost or gets pushed down because of how great the opening and the closing are. So I thought that was really good. I liked that a lot. We're going to keep going on a little bit of this non-spoilery section for a minute. I really, again, really appreciate Veronica Roth's characters here. I feel like these teenagers, and that's what they are for the most part, really do feel and act like teenagers. That they have emotions and it gets the better of them and they mope and they don't mope and they think they can do anything and sometimes they can and sometimes they can't but veronica roth really shows them kind of finding their way especially through you know their their current gift which is not a spoiler we know that everybody has a current gift so now the writing not bad it's not like crazy beautiful prose to write home about but i feel like i can understand exactly what she's saying i feel like i understand where it's going. There's no confusion. She creates just enough new words and new kind of plays with those words a little bit more to really show an understanding of this world that she's building, but not too much to overwhelm me or to take me out of the story. And while I didn't really uh, feel like I needed to read about Cece and have specific point of view chapters for her, you know, I understood almost immediately why we needed to have these chapters in the book. And by the end of it, I had grown to appreciate them more, showing that she can take, you know, this character that I don't necessarily have the strongest feelings for and still make me enjoy them enough to appreciate them where they're there. So, and that that is a little bit of a, a thing that's different in this book is that in the first book, it was all, it was a section of Syrah chapters and then a section of Akos chapters and then Syrah and then Akos and then near the end, it was flip flopping back and forth, which helped really create that tension and that ramped up attention to bring them closer together. This one with the introduction of Cece, the chapters were more varied. We'd have two or three chapters of Syrah, and then a chapter of Akos, and then a chapter of Cece, and then a chapter of uh, Syrah again. So it was a little different. It's not bad, it's just different, and she made it work, and that's what's really important in the story. So I thought the plot was an interesting continuation of the second. Obviously we're going to see a lot of YA tropes that I'll talk about later, at least some of them I'll talk about, but it is a YA book. It's going to have these tropes. Um, I thought she did well with them. I didn't think they were just thrown in there to be thrown in there. She didn't have anything there that wasn't useful in the way that she was able to use it and manipulate it. So, And then I just, I really had a hard time putting this book down. Uh, obviously, the closer you get to the end of a book, the harder it gets to put down, and I was pretty invested in it from the beginning, so I really liked it. And I really, again, like her characters and kind of the story that she set off. So 
let's get into some spoiler talk for a second here then. So, you know, if you haven't read the book or haven't read the duology, then stop here. And if you have, uh, let's have some fun. So the plot um, is very simple. Issei, the Chancellor, kills Ryzek and decides she's going to war against the Shotet. The crew kick her off in an escape pod with Cece, and they fly to Ogre to kind of recuperate and do some stuff. Meanwhile, the truth is that Lazmet, her father, is alive, and he was, you know, Ryzek was telling the truth when he said that their father was alive. Syra immediately tries to convince everyone that he's very dangerous and that he needs to be killed. Nobody likes that idea. There's some fights, more some some bombings and some uh, aggression on the war part. And then in the end, Lazmet, her father, is killed by Akos, and they both go back to Ogren together. Now there's a lot of other nitty-gritty that I'm missing, of course. Don't don't be all up in arms yet, but let's talk about some of the things that I really liked in this book. I I called it, just to let you guys all know. I knew that they had been switched. I think I got about a fourth of the way through this book, and kind of in the last book, where they talk about how the names were, you know, Syra is a Thuzavite name, and Vikos is a Shotet name, and I was like, hey, I wonder if they're like, obviously they were switched. They should be, you know, they were named weirdly. So maybe they were like switched. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they were switched to each other with each other? Obviously I was right and I called it and I loved that. I mean, I, I didn't feel like, like I called it, but it didn't feel like, oh, since I called it, it was lost or it didn't have a, an impact in the story or on me. It still did when it was revealed. And I liked that both the fates were already fulfilled, that Syrah had technically died for Akos by not using the power on him, her power on him, and that Akos had crossed the Great Divide. You know, when he was kidnapped, he crossed the Great Divide, and then he crossed the Great Divide and went back. I mean, just let's talk about the prophecy for a second. What kind of a stupid fate is that? You, The second son of the Noavex will cross the Divide. Oh, great. So he'll fly across it at least once, like, in his life? Like, that's the, that's the easiest fate to ever be created. Like, you fly across, you fly across. At least some of the other ones were a bit more dramatic. He'll die at the hand of this person. She will succumb to the blade. You know, die in the service to the family Novak. Those are, like, impactful and meaningful. You will cross the divide. That was just a lame one. And then, you know, for that to be you know, fulfilled the way it was, it's just kind of like, okay, well, that's a little silly. So, and then uh, let's talk about Cece because she's also one that has a a fate that she would succumb to the blade and i like the wording it's succumb to the blade not die to the blade uh you know kind of splitting hairs on what they're intending when they say succumb to the blade but it's oracles they're allowed to say as cryptic kind of stuff as they want and be able to swing it either way so i had no issue with that i was surprised that when she got stabbed though because i thought that would definitely happen later during an attack Uh, i knew that asked didn't like her and was suspicious of her I did not think that he would stab her, or that she was quite as powerful as she was. That uh, she can quite literally control people by flexing her about her current gift and making them so calm and chill that she can basically force them to do anything because it's chill, right? Like it's like the power of chill personified, but like she has to to work at it, and then that she basically becomes the shadow counselor in the end. That is, it's cool terrifying and cool at the same time where it's just like 
oh my gosh, like you have a quite powerful ability that you just didn't uh, know you had. So I really enjoyed that. Lazmut's gift, while we're talking about gifts here for a second, to be able to control others, um, it was interesting. I kind of liked that it was talking more about like the pain or talking about the, the brain control where he's basically almost stimulating it with the current gift to make you do what you want. And I honestly thought that, that Syra was going to get out of control, get out of his control by causing enough pain in her own body that causes her muscles to like spasm. And then she wouldn't be able to follow through with his commands. Not what happened, but I, I was hoping for it. So, and while we're on the subject of powers again, we're just going to keep going. Akos gaining the ability to kind of cast off his uh, exoskeletons, like as he calls it, in order to be able to feel the current and let other people use his current gift on, let other people use their current gift on him. Excuse me. So that was really cool. The reveal that Ima has the ability to turn people's hearts and turn people's loyalties to things that she chooses. That's a, a crazy powerful ability. And I love that. And then I forgot his name. I'm sorry, but he can test your loyalty to something. And then he does lie at the end and just say, oh yeah, he's totally good. He just wants to go home. Loved it. That was so cool. I really do appreciate the varying of gifts and of powers. Nothing is so simplistic in general as, oh, he can, he has super strength or this one can fly or this one can shoot a bow really well. It's all kind of more abstract things. And I like that a lot. Obviously, you have a couple like, I'm immune to touch. I can't feel anything. Like, I like it's, it's more than just not feeling pain in the first book. So I really like her power design and the way she structured them all. And then, of course, we have to talk about Syra. What uh, kind of what a reveal. I did not call that her power was like an excess of current, basically, that she is the current gift. She has it. And her pushing it all out of her and, you know, causing it to counteract the anti-current bomb was brilliant. And it was so good. And then afterwards, when she doesn't have her gift for the first level for the week, and she's like, oh my gosh, I don't have pain. Like, I can live. And then for that to come back and to see her break down and be crying over this pain that she had been so used to, you know, just constantly, and then have it be gone. And, you know, crying over that, that was, I mean, you got to have a little bit of a heart and, like, be a little sad for her there, even though she's fictional. Like, that was such a tough scene for her and a tough thing. Like, it hurt so much. I was like, ah, I don't like that. But I did like that her mother and Akos weren't wrong, that her gift was not pain. And it really made me appreciate her mother more, that when we learn about the switch, that her mother truly loved her even though she wasn't like her biological daughter so she wasn't her biological daughter and so she still insisted like no my daughter does not deserve this pain she would never you know i love her she doesn't deserve this i'm going to take her to doctors and so it just really makes her whole kind of story even sadder in a way but also happy because then she kind of knows it at the end so and syra so standoffish this book so ready to fight and it was good. It was just a really good expression of who she is and the things that she's going through in this book. When Akos and Syra break up, which is inevitable in a young adult romance book, because that's what it is. Uh, and they break up because Akos 
only thinks he could be with her because of the prophecy, and he can't be true to her because he's going to die to her, and so it might as well be her, and blah, blah, blah. I was kind of like, I was a little iffy on it at parts, and then other parts, I was like, yeah, okay, it makes sense. Like, he can't give her, like, the unconditional choice that she deserves, but, like, Akos, like, dying in their service doesn't necessarily mean you'll, like, die a violent death. It could be you'll die of a ripe old age in the service to the family Novak, doing literally anything. No, can't mean something calm and logical. So my frustrations with Akos were just basically the same frustrations I'd have with any 17 to 20 year old boy kind of in that range where they are just dumb, like we all are. So, uh, of course, our conversation would not be complete if we did not talk about the assembly and how dumb slash smart they are. So obviously they knew when they were revealing those fates in the beginning of the first book that this was going to cause a lot of issues. I still don't necessarily understand why the oracles even tell people they're fated. Like, being told you're fated doesn't change your fate, doesn't even make it more likely to happen. It just means you know that eventually you're going to do this thing. Like, it doesn't change, it doesn't help people use generally. Now, while I'm not on the side of the assembly saying that the oracles should be governed more strictly and their prophecy should be restricted, I mean, I'm of the opinion that, like, if the oracle wants to make some changes, they should be able to make those changes and we all kind of hope they're doing it for the good of all but uh not restricting it if you want to listen you can listen but you don't have to so the assembly at pushing for war against the shotet trying to kill them do not like so i'm glad though that the book ended where it was where the book ends and they are getting ready kind of for a war and not necessarily but they're the planets that side with the oracles and the planets that don't side with the oracles are all together and are you know are grouping together and they are getting ready and then they end it and I love that the Shotet are able to kind of move to Ogura where they kind of are for most of this book the exiles are and that while they're there you know they build a new sojourn ship which okay again going back a little bit to the first act of war that Issei the Chancellor does she calls for a strike on their sojourn ship thinking that it would be you know unoccupied, and then Syrah tells everyone to evacuate to the sojourn ship where they could be safe, and then they kill hundreds, if not more, of their people, and it devastates Syrah, and that's part of why she's so testy. So, like I said, I think her character motivations work within the story that she's telling, that you can see these actions, like, oh, she just ordered, like, a bunch of her people to get killed, and she didn't know it. You know, she did it in good faith, but that doesn't necessarily matter. And then, you know, that causes her to be more angry and standoffish later. So that part was really good. I'm excited to read more by Veronica Roth. I really enjoyed the Carve the Mark duology. Again, so glad it's a duology. That is just the perfect amount, I think, for this book. So, all right, I think that's going to wrap up my discussion of The Fates Divide by Veronica Roth. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, please uh, give a review and a rating wherever you listen to this. It really helps me out and like and subscribe and remember to divide the magic of books. 